Hello and welcome back to Spotlight on Women in Health Ventures, the podcast powered by Thea, a nonprofit dedicated to empowering women as entrepreneurs in healthcare. Cindy Adam is co-founder and CEO of Choice, a telehealth clinic providing sexual and reproductive health care in California, Colorado, Illinois, Maine, and New Mexico, founded in 2020. Choice provides professional and private abortion care to folks seeking to safely end a pregnancy from the comfort of their own home. Choice has been featured in USA Today, Insider, Fast Company, among many other news outlets. Cindy trained at the University of California Family Nurse Practitioner Program and completed clinical preceptorships at SFGH, Planned Parenthood, and the Women's Community Clinic. She founded her, she focused her career on sexual and reproductive health care through work with the SF Department of Public Health Programs for Youth in private practices with local OBGYN, as well as with an early stage contraceptive care telehealth provider. Thank you so much for joining us today, Cindy. The work that you and your team are doing at Choice is more important than ever, especially in light of the legislative changes that are happening in the U.S., you're a trained nurse practitioner. I'd love to hear more about your story of how you founded Choice and how your training as a nurse practitioner has informed the work that you currently do. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on today, Sarah. Our team, um, a founding team, is actually a majority of clinicians. I founded Choice with uh, Lauren Duby, who's also a nurse practitioner, and Dr. Asia Wagner. Um, our other co-founder is Mark Adam, who's our CTO and president. And we first started the idea of Choice back in 2018. Our founding team of clinicians had been working in telehealth and in the abortion and sexual and reproductive health care space. Um, but we saw a clear lack of specifically abortion care as well as other, excuse me, sexual and reproductive health care services being offered. And that's when we decided to form Choice. Um, at the time, we were looking for ways that we could innovate with abortion care because you couldn't mail mifepristone at the time because of an in-person dispensing requirement for the drug. And mifepristone is the uh, first medication in the abortion process with the progestin blocker that, that's then followed by mesoprostol. But because of actually a pandemic area ruling um, in the summer of 2020, a federal district court judge in Maryland allowed for the temporary mailing of mifepristone because of what was occurring with the pandemic, we were actually able to launch our services for choice with the classic telehealth model of, you know, consultations via telehealth and medications by mail. And I think to answer the second part of your question, our clinician team truly informed choice how we started choice and how we continue to operate choice, because I think those that are closest to the care understand the needs of the folks that we serve and what the needs are, you know, for people in general, but also from a generally from a business perspective and how we can help and support the folks who are seeking care um, directly or generally speaking when it comes to needs like abortion funds or practical support, the other parts of the puzzle when it comes to access to abortion care. And what challenges, if any, did you face as you transitioned from medicine to business? And what is the breakdown? Do you do clinical care still? That's a great question. We all wear a lot of hats on the choice team. You know, we're a young business and we all work really hard in different ways uh, to support our patients and to support the growth of our business. You know, as a non-traditional founding team and we're first-time founders, it's definitely been a, a big area of growth for myself personally. And I know for the rest of our team, as we navigate the business side of things, we've learned um, so much about everything from, uh, you know, digital ads and Google AdWords and 
keywords specifically as it relates to abortion care and other, you know, what are considered to be sensitive terms online that, you know, we in healthcare consider to be important part of getting the word out about the services we provide. The clinical piece you know, in, in medicine, we're lifelong learners and we're continuing to learn how we can best support and improve our, our offering and our services to patients. But yes, the business piece, especially as it has evolved from a telehealth provider during the pandemic to this a period of time where folks are seeking more in-person care, but also still very looking towards telehealth, continuing to learn and adapt. And then, of course, on top of that, um, you have what's going on politically in our country with, with the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe versus Wade and how that has affected abortion care specifically. So it's been quite a journey for us as a small business navigating, you know, just the general challenges of a startup, let alone the impact that a major Supreme Court decision has had on access to the care we provide. And to answer the second part of your question, yeah, I do very little clinical work directly these days. I help a lot with clinical operations, but Lauren, who's our head of nursing, does a lot of direct patient care as well as the clinical ops and partnership side of things. And were you always entrepreneurial or how did you go from the clinical aspect to business? This is new for me, actually, and I love it. It's, it's something that our team, you know, I know Lauren and Mark feel the same way. We're, we're very driven by our mission. And I think that that is, is a big part of it to expand access to abortion care and options for abortion care access. But I first started thinking about choice and connecting with Lauren and Mark and Asia about it after working as one of the nurse practitioners at, at the time, what was an earlier stage contraceptive care company. And I think that's where I first kind of got the bug and learned more about startup culture and um, telehealth um, and different ways of, of care delivery outside of the traditional brick and mortar setting. And it wasn't immediately, but it was... A couple of years later, kind of looking to get back into telehealth, learning more about abortion care via telehealth and the studies and the evidence base for it and connecting with our team about why this wasn't being offered, how we could help and support and innovate in abortion care, and then taking the next steps to really dive in and, and create choice and then open our virtual doors in October of 2020. So we're now two years in. It's our two-year anniversary. Congrats. Thank you. So stepping back, I'd love to go into how you built Choice a little bit more and how did you decide on the array of services that Choice was going to provide? We decided to offer a full suite of sexual reproductive health care services. Abortion care is at the forefront of that. It's probably the service that people come to us most, but we felt that it was important to also offer preventative care, which includes emergency contraception, birth control. We offer UTI care. We've expanded to offer oral and genital HSV care. Um, and our goal is to also include STI testing and treatment, as well as vaginitis testing and treatment by early next year to really kind of round out that full suite of services. And we do offer STI testing to our abortion care patients as well. Mm-hmm. We feel that it really helps support people at any point in their reproductive health care journey um, if they're able to offer this. We also offer miscarriage management for folks who have sought abortion care with us. Sometimes people start to experience symptoms of a miscarriage during the medical questionnaire portion or while they're waiting for their medications to arrive. So we help support them with options for in-person care or to, to medically manage it uh, via telehealth. That's sort of a pilot that we're doing to see if that's a good fit as a, as a full service offering in and of itself or if we should continue to keep it focused the way we have. And what's the step-by-step process for someone who wants to seek care with choice? 
It's very straightforward. You can visit our website at choicehealth.com and fill out an online medical questionnaire. Usually it takes about five to seven minutes. The questionnaire will go through the pertinent medical history that we need to know to provide abortion care. So that includes first day of your last normal menstrual period, menstrual history, current medications, medical history, currently using contraception or have been in the last three months, things of that nature, just to assess for any need one for in-person care versus maybe an additional workup before you proceed with care, such as for an ultrasound or hemoglobin testing, history of recent anemia or symptomatic anemia, things like that. Our providers will review those questionnaires within uh, one business day and respond to folks via regular or encrypted text. And then once they are approved to proceed and most folks can proceed without additional in-person care or referrals for care, we will then have people complete their final consent forms. And then we will ship medications to your door or to whatever address that you register with. We work with a partner pharmacy, Honeybee Health, for the majority of our care. And Honeybee is located in California. So we can either overnight or send medications. And then we will do three additional checkups with folks. So we do a medication check-in just to ensure you've received your package. And that prompts people to report when they're taking their medications and how. So we know when to follow up. After that, we do a 72-hour follow-up, and that's just to check in and make sure that the process is complete and to assess for any symptoms that folks may need to be referred for in-person care to be monitored from our providers. And then the final step is a four-week follow-up uh, just to ensure a negative pregnancy test or the return of a normal menses. Sometimes that can take up to five weeks too. But so we, you know, we're very hands-on throughout the process, and people can text at any time if they need additional medical support. That's amazing. Um, and so you mentioned the partnership with Honeybee. Um, can you talk a little bit more about how that partnership works? Um, it's it's fairly straightforward um, as far as a telehealth and pharmacy relationship. Um, so, you know, we work with, with any and all pharmacies, um, but uh, Honeybee has been at the forefront of being a mifepristone uh, pharmacy carrier. Um, and so we do have uh, just a, a certain agreements in place with them, as well as the manufacturer for mifepristone in order to be able to prescribe um, and to um, work with Honeybee. Mm-hmm. And what was the impetus for adopting the sliding scale pricing model from $175 to $350? And how has that kind of impacted the bottom line? We felt that it was really important to offer uh, a sliding scale because we know that um, our previous price point, which was $289, um, is, is kind of where we need to price things um, in order to operate as a business. Um, however, um, we wanted to be able to serve those um, who who cannot pay the $289. Um, and we know that even $175 can be too much for a lot of folks. Um, and so this helps lower the cost to improve access to care. Um, and also we work with abortion funds. So in certain states, uh, especially like California and Chicago, um, we work with Access and we work with the Chicago Abortion Fund. Um, we also work with RAP and a few other funds and, and are working to expand that. But um, those relationships help us to um, support folks. So in, in some cases, get that cost down to zero dollars. Um, and in other cases, you know, if it's 175 and then we can get support from the funds as well, can really help bring it down to a price point where, where patients um, can proceed with care. And is it all out of pocket or do you take insurance? Obviously, you partner with these abortion funds. Yeah, currently it is all out of pocket. Our goal is to pilot Medicaid um, starting in California next year, though. I think that's extremely important from an access standpoint as well. Can you talk a little bit more about the business model for Choice? 
Sure. Currently, it's really D2C. So um, it's funny sometimes using business terms as a nurse practitioner, but yes, we're direct to consumer or, you know, telehealth directly to the patient. We um, are working to launch some additional services and, you know, add an additional B2B arm of choice. But currently, we operate sort of classic telehealth in that sense. But our goal with the B2B development um, is to be able to, one, work with companies who want to be able to provide expanded options for access to abortion care to their employees. And then the other part is that, and I can speak to this more later, but we are currently fundraising to support a employee benefit that we want to create for travel and to support practical support for people who live in restricted or banned states that need to travel to to access abortion care. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that would be a new entity within choice. Very nice. And what has been the growth trajectory for Choice and how do you go about obtaining new customers? So when we started in 2020, we were working in California. Uh, Lauren and I were doing direct patient care, answering the phones. Asia was supporting us as our collaborating physician and consultant. Um, and Mark, very part-time, really helped develop our platform and supported us as needed as, as other technical needs came up. But Lauren and I were seeing patients in addition to our other jobs at the time. And, you know, we're seeing a few patients a day. We started off um, being on abortion care aggregators. So plancpills.org, abortionfinder.org, I need an A. We're also a national abortion federation member clinic. So we're on their clinic finder site as well. Um, So between those two and then also Google ads, those were our main channels for marketing to, um, you know, get the word out there to folks to let us let them know that we were available and that we were an option for abortion care. And because when we launched at the time, it was during the pandemic, we had a lot of people who were very interested in receiving care remotely at that time. And that continues to be the case, but especially as you can imagine, um, you know, late 2020, a lot of people had concerns for various reasons about leaving the home. Um, You know, I remember very distinctly that we had a patient who was a mom and she has an immunocompromised child who she did not want to put at risk by having to take them to the clinic. She was their full-time care provider. And so it was great to be able to support her or, you know, specifically in this case, but also anyone, you know, during the pandemic who should not have to put themselves at higher risk when these medications and um, the abortion care process is really so very safe and effective this way. But so we were able to grow choice organically um, using these marketing channels and expand into three states over the next year. So we brought on credible patient care coordinator, Maria, and we went to Colorado and Illinois in this model and adding additional states as we went. And, and then at that point, we decided that we wanted to um, seek external funding. Um, we bootstrapped choice initially, but, you know, 2020 and 2021 were some of the worst years when it came to the implementation of new restrictions on abortion care, also known as trap laws. Um, and we've been seeing things getting progressively worse for access in many states. And also we're very much anticipating what was going to happen with the, the Supreme Court ruling and the overturn of Roe. And so we decided at that time that we wanted to be able to scale more quickly, to be able to serve more states, um, and to be able to explore more opportunities and ways that we could expand access and serve. So that's when we started fundraising. Um, you know, we went from that time to seeing a couple of patients a day to now we serve um, three to 400 patients a month. And we are now in six states. We also now serve uh, Maine, Virginia, and New Mexico. Great. So you mentioned your first round of fundraising. What challenges did you face during that process? 
you know, we were very lucky initially to connect with Elevate Capital, who's our lead investor. You know, we, we talked with them over a longer period of time, just as they got to know us and kind of watch the business and, and, and see the evolution of things. But, you know, they committed to working with us early last year and we, we closed funding in late May, early June of this year. And, um, you know, they work with female-led uh, companies um, and companies led by other unrepresented founders, people of color, veterans. And we're super excited about our model and our care, um, and we're very mission-aligned. So been, it's been a pleasure to work with them. And um, But in general, fundraising for abortion care is, is extremely challenging, um, as you might imagine. Fundraising in general for abortion care, for nonprofit work, for, you know, for a company that's trying to grow and scale like this, both are, are very challenging for a lot of reasons. Just because what we call abortion exceptionalism, where people look at abortion and treat it differently, as is very clear by, you know, how the laws and things are being applied today. It is, it's true of funding too. And so, for example, with um, going to certain institutional firms, there might be imagining partner who's, who's interested, but they have a diverse LP basis and um, many of whom are vocal about not wanting to have their money go towards a provider who offers abortion care as part of their platform. People um, tend to look at abortion in a lot of different ways and may consider themselves to be pro-choice, but have feelings about investment or funding. Um, And so we're working very hard to destigmatize the care we provide, as, as all of our colleagues have done and continue to do alongside us, and to really talk about the importance of access um, and supporting care. And in this way, because Right now, especially if we don't fund any and all types of care and improvements and access and and really push and, and push the boundaries of what's happening, I think that's that's when the anti-choice movement will win. And so I guess how much is the fundraising process you destigmatize abortion having to explain why it's safe and effective and all of that versus just finding people who already kind of understand or are in line with your philosophy? Yeah, it's really variable. You know, I sometimes speak to firms led by uh, people who identify as women who are um, already very much in the digital healthcare space, who are maybe have had an abortion, are familiar with abortion care, or work with health plans, and completely understand what we're doing in the model and get it right away. We also speak to funds who are interested and have like maybe reached out or that we reached out to because of what happened with Roe, and they're oh, okay, this is timely. You know, let's talk to Choice, and but it's it's a completely different conversation. Rather than jumping into the you know financial model and the business plan, the whole conversation is just about why this is safe and how we do what we do and what the journey is like for the patient. And, and sometimes they still leave not really getting it. And so there's a whole really understanding category, I think, for them, but also really just understanding the safety and efficacy of this care. What additional milestones do you expect to hit before seeking additional rounds of funding? Currently, we're still very focused on our seed round. We're working to close the round. And we actually also excited to announce that we launched our uh, crowdfund campaign, which is a public investment campaign on Republic. So both accredited and non-accredited accredited investors can invest um, $100 or more. Um, and we're working to raise over a million dollars um, for the crowdfund that launched on Thursday. So um, yeah, check out republic.com. Uh, look up choice <laughs> if folks are interested in supporting. I think that, you know, we've had interest from um, from firms who we would approach for a later stage funds fundraise. The challenge really has been though, um, 
I think even with closing this round is that people see what's happening um, and they consider abortion care to be more risky and have concerns you know, about the re regulatory nature of what's going on um, and, and have concerns about investing for that reason. Um, and I would go back and say that um, for the very same reasons, you know, I just said, I think the risk is not to invest and to not push. There's a lot of other industries that have, it's it's not comparable to what we do, but, you know, where they operate in this space where the laws haven't quite been developed or they're pushing boundaries and, and people are often keen to invest, but we're not seeing that same sort of commitment with abortion care. So that's something that we hope to see more of as, as we continue to reach out to people. Obviously, it's also a challenging time for a lot of different reasons um, with what's going on in the markets and you know other things that that come up when it, when it comes to fundraising. But but I think again the fact that we're abortion providers, there's always an additional layer of challenges when it comes to fundraising and so much of else of what we do. Right, but it's so important. So I applaud you for <laughs> continuing and pushing forward. Thank you. And how is Choice differentiated from other telehealth clinics that offer abortion care, like Hey Jane or Just the Pillar Aid Access? That's a great question. So I would say that we're we're all very similar in a lot of ways, but also have our own unique offerings. I would say, for example, with Choice, we're pushing really hard to innovate in the space. We were one of the first to offer asynchronous care, um, specifically in California, and one of the first U.S. companies to offer abortion care in the United States. You know, we were joining our amazing colleagues at Aid Access in this. And I know Hey Jane uh, launched uh, at a similar time, uh, Just the Pill right before us as well. And we're all colleagues and, and check-in. It's, it's a wonderful community to be a part of. And I would say that some, some of the differentiators would be that, for example, we offer advanced provision of medication abortion, which is offering access to abortion medications and education around uh, abortion care before somebody becomes pregnant so that they might be able to have these pills on hand for as-needed use um, should they become pregnant at that time and want to make that decision. We're helping to support and coordinate care for folks in different states and we continue to push boundaries for access with this model of care. And we hope to do the same when it comes to our plans for choice travel and, and helping to support with practical support. Um, Just the Pill, for example, does telehealth in different states than what we serve, but they also really focus on their mobile clinic. Um, incredible service where you know folks can travel, especially generally, I believe, uh, traveling from Texas, mostly to Colorado and other states to access in-person care as well as with telehealth. Um, and I know that Hey Jane, for example, their main service for now has been abortion care exclusively, but are expanding into sort of more mental health support and other parts of the abortion care space. You know, and there's there's other abortion care providers out there. And I think that the a lot of the main differentiators tend to be around the level of medical care that's provided throughout the process. Um, so there's some providers who uh, prescribe pills and then patients kind of just follow up as needed, um, where I think with choice, at least I can speak to, we, we really do have a lot of ongoing support throughout the process with those multiple check-ins. We've touched on it a little bit, but I would love to dive deeper into the future of abortion care in the U.S. How has the overturning of Roe v. Wade impacted your business? We are seeing a lot of people calling from states where there are restrictions and bans uh, to access medication abortion. That's why we're, we're looking to support folks with choice travel, specifically B2B, but we also, you know, as an employee benefit, but we want to be able to use the infrastructure and the funds generated to go back to support 
people who can't afford to travel, who don't have employee benefits to travel for care, because those are always going to be the people who are most affected by this. Um, that has been the biggest change is you're seeing folks have to travel for telehealth care, um, as well as, you know, we know that our colleagues in brick and mortar clinics for a long time now, even since before Roe was overturned, you know, serve people from out of state. And it's just been exponential since then with SB8 in Texas and now with the overturn of Roe. And so how will you handle like these state laws regarding legality of abortion, kind of also ensuring patient privacy? You know, the patient privacy piece, we obviously have a compliant. We um, offer encrypted texts for folks. We were very cautious about the, what we put on our website and how people access care and obviously the security and safety of our website and, and the use, you know, just really sort of basic good practices when it comes to um, the platform. But when it comes to navigating other state laws, it's it's kind of fascinating as a relatively small business owner um, of, of a company who operates in states where abortion care is legal. There are very few other services where you have to be worried about state laws in states that you do not serve. And that's where I would sort of bring the conversation back to abortion exceptionalism, because what other industry would you have to worry about the laws in Texas when you're serving someone who's physically located in California? You shouldn't have to, and we really shouldn't have to. You know, we consider these laws to be overreaching, to say the least. And the way that we're handling it currently is that as long as we're not providing telehealth to patients in, in states where we don't serve, providing basic information about the requirements and sort of the logistics and the timing um, and how our platform works, um, that we can help support them for care. Um, and, you know, in some cases, that might mean that. Um, just kind of letting people know how long to stay or what to expect, but that we still feel very much in the right providing information and connecting them to care um, because, you know, the care they're receiving is, is in the states we serve. Mm -hmm. And are more digital health companies transitioning to providing abortion pills and companies like Choice or Hey Jane and like the other ones we've mentioned, will they be able to compete and meet the demand for this medical abortion? Yes, we're definitely seeing other companies come into the space which is wonderful. Honestly, the more people providing abortion care, the more access people have, the less stigmatized it becomes, the more providers who are trained in this care. I really can't say enough about it because I know from a competition point, most of the time people wouldn't say that, but we consider these people to be our colleagues and we are a mission-driven company. This is what we are here for. So we're very excited to see that. Can we meet the demand? That's yes. The beauty with telehealth is that you can, and you can serve and scale in a way that is, you know, we can do it quickly and we can, you know, work to support people and approve them because it's a low or no touch model is what we say, because we're really, we trust patients. We rely on their medical histories and we don't require most patients to be seen in person. And so you know, it reduces a lot of the time that it takes and so, yes, I do think telehealth can help meet the demand. I think that telehealth is only a part of the solution. I don't think that everybody wants abortion care via telehealth. Some people really want an ultrasound or in-person care or, or need it because of their medical history um, or because, you know, maybe they want an ultrasound before they return home if they're traveling. You know, there's lots of different reasons, but, but we do think that telehealth can be a very big part of the solution to help support people in care. Mm -hmm. And I also think as more companies transition to providing abortion care, it kind of destigmatizes it more, raising more awareness of the importance of it. And I think your stance is interesting because you guys are also all 
in the medical field coming from that perspective as founders versus maybe someone who wasn't practicing in the clinical field. It's like that mission-driven perspective, which I find is interesting, like who the founders are of companies and how that affects how they think about their space. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, we're privileged to work with the the people we do, you know, the ones who have been doing this care for a long time and to join and to help be a part of this movement and to push and to innovate alongside with them, because it's so important at, at any time, you know, in the last few years and now even more so. So I think that working together and all of us having our different strengths and unique ideas and approaches to this gives patients options. And I think that there's, there's space for it. Mm-hmm. And I have one last question regarding the future of abortion care in the U.S. What kind of steps have you taken to protect the medical professionals working at Choice from liability? We work with our council very closely to ensure that we're following all of the state telemedicine um, and abortion care laws in the states that we serve and, you know, carefully navigating that when it comes to working with people who are out of state, we of course have, you know, a lot of the traditional malpractice insurance and other forms of business liability insurance in place also to help protect our company and are very connected with a lot of other organizations and and folks in the space to learn how they're thinking about navigating this, um, you know, when it comes to supporting patients out of state or in specific states and when it comes to telehealth best practices. Thank you so much for this. It's been such a wonderful talk with you and I've loved learning more about choice and all the work that you do. I do have some concluding questions that are more rapid fire. Sure. So what are some parting words that you would give to those in the medical field with that entrepreneurial itch? Oh, that's great. Um, Go for it. I love it. (laughs) I love doing what we do. Our team, we're so lucky to do this. It's a privilege and it is it is hard work every day, but it is the best thing to be doing something you're passionate about and to have the ability to be this kind of like nimble business that can pivot and jump and grow and meet demands, you know, as they come. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And do you have any mentors or other female founders that you look up to? A lot. Um, I would say that I love Jess from Honeybee Health. She's been wonderful to connect with. And I love, obviously, my my team, Lauren and Aisha, Mara Rashid are also our medical director, just amazing clinicians and providers who've been paving the way in the space. And what is one book or resource or anything that you recommend, especially for aspiring entrepreneurs, investors, or innovators in healthcare? Ooh. I would say my reading in that space tends more towards healthcare related. Just like from a healthcare perspective, I loved Dr. Gunther's The Vagina Bible, Dr. Mira Shah's uh, You're the Only One I've Told, uh, The Turnaway Study, Diana Green Foster, just like some really great books about women's and sexually reproductive health and abortion care specifically. That's great. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me this morning. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate you having me on today um, for letting me share more about choice. Thank you all for listening. Visit us on Instagram at Thea Healthcare, on Twitter at ThiaHC, and on our website at ThiaHC.org for more content and to join our vibrant community of young professionals, entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders in healthcare. Special thanks to our amazing producer, Sarah Wetzler, and audio editors, Ellie Park, Asim Jain, Nikita Gupta, and Katie Donahue. If you're enjoying our content, please consider supporting Thea by visiting our website, theahc.org, to donate.